Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to spend some time with you today. I hope you've had a great week. And it is that time of the week where uh, we are wrapping up another great week of, of broadcasting here at Faith Radio. And I'm always delighted when I get a chance to uh, talk to someone who works here. And <laughs> Ben Holson is the program director here. And he's had a phenomenal experience with the One Child program. He went on a trip um, recently, and he learned a lot. And I'm going to pick his brain about what's going to be uh, what we have to look forward to coming up at the um, end of the month when we have our two day event on One Child. Ben, welcome. Thank you for having me, Bill. Do you Good have to time you. to be here today? Ah, uh, finding time. Yes, of course. <laughs> Always time. Yeah. So tell me about your trip. Where did you go and when? Right. So we went to um, a place in the Dominican Republic called Dahabon, which is right along the border of Haiti which is one of the most desperate places in the world. Oh. And um, it is very similar to to our border, but much worse um, with Mexico because the Haitian immigrants are trying to cross the border for a, a better future because they have absolutely nothing. It is, um, like I said, the most desperate place I'd ever seen. Um, and there is... Um, Awful things happening mm-hmm. there. I bet. Uh, children as young as three and four being brought over the border in the middle of the night to be trafficked for all sorts of terrible things, mm. including drugs and guns and and um, other. And worse. Amen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is horrible. And there's so many kids in need mm. of love and in need of connection. And I... I'm excited to hear more about you, you, what you learned on this trip mm. because not only have you uh, sponsored a child through one child, but you also have been uh, boots on the ground understanding what happens when someone else sponsors a child because right. they get resources made available to them. They get a place to go where mm. they're taught um, God's word and they get food and some medicine and all other kinds of resources that they may not have available to them otherwise. Right. It was uh, it was a place I remember. Um, I didn't see a single white person from the moment I got on the plane in New York um, until the time we came back to New York. Um, there were um, Dominicans and Haitians, which are two completely um, different um, uh, cultures okay. and people, uh, languages. And um, I I saw the desperation in their eyes. And some of the things that I learned was that in in God's economy and the way God was working, there was such beauty there at times. Um, there were flowers. It was warm. There were smiles on people's faces. Wow. But in the same time, there was, again, that desperation. There was rust. There was broken. There were broken down homes and families and lives. It was a place I didn't want to leave because there was so much need, but I never wanted to come back either because <laughs> it was so out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, where we're used to the comforts of home. Yeah. We're used to be able to get into our car and drive to the grocery store or... Um, and have fresh food available. Cl- 
Bill, just cleanliness, period. That's what I mean. Just yeah. cleanliness of, you know, our kitchens and running waters and our bathrooms and just yeah. the, the things that we get, that we take for granted that we get to use every single day that they don't have. They have buckets. Mm. They use buckets for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, for their kitchens, for their bathrooms, for this and that, and they're carrying things around. And their family car is a motorbike, like a moped-sized motorbike mm-hmm. that I saw a family of six riding on. A father driving, he had a child in front of him, two children in the middle, the mom on the back, and the mom is holding the baby on her hip as they're driving down the road. Oh. No helmets, no safety precautions, no nothing. That's what they take to go to church. That's what they take to go to the grocery store. Um, I, I mean, I just, I, I, I hate to continue to use the word desperation, but it was just so stark, Bill. Mm-hmm. So stark. Just completely different from anything I've ever experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. And when you are there, Ben Holson, and you are interacting with these children, does your heart break instantly when you see the faces and you see the need and you see how much they need help? So, again, just the contrast of God, my heart explodes when I see the children in the Hope Center that are sponsored through mm-hmm. one child. Um, because those children, their lives have changed. And they are so full of hope. They don't have anything back at home. Mm-hmm. But in these churches, in these hope centers, um, they have the gift of hope. And they have the gift of a future. And they have the gift of, of faith. But the children outside of these hope centers are completely different looking. Their faces are pale. Their eyes are vacant. Wow. And they want to be able to come in because they're singing. And there's, you know, all sorts of joy joy yeah. that they don't have. The kids, out, the kids outside don't have mm. clothes on. They aren't wearing shoes, oh, my. and they want to get in, but they can't. They can't get in because there isn't enough. There aren't enough resources, mm-hmm. and that's where I promised them that I would come back and I would talk to you, Bill, and I would advocate for them. I would advocate to our audience to say these children need us, and we can sponsor them. It's thirty nine dollars a month. Um, you can go meet your child at myfaithradio.com. You can pray about. Um, who God's leading you to sponsor. You can read about their story, their age. Maybe they have the same birthday as you. And it's not just these kids in the Dominican Republic. There are children all over the world that you can learn about and meet today, right Mm -hmm. now, at MyFaithRadio.com. Ben, what does it mean to the parents of these children? Mm. So uh, the child that I felt led to to sponsor, um, she's a little girl, and she reminds me of my daughter. Hmm. She was standing and sitting in the front row. My daughter's almost three. And we had this long church service. But this little girl sat there so well-behaved, better better behaved than my daughter ever <laughs> would. Her parents weren't there. It was just a whole bunch of kids wow. sitting there in the rows. And I just kept having, I kept praying and I said, you know, God, lead me to who you want me to sponsor. And when I was had the opportunity to meet her mom, I found out that this child was actually... Um, came from this woman's husband's affair. Who? But, but the birth mother um, ended up passing away, and this woman adopted her husband's, uh, the child that came from the husband's affair. And they had nothing, but she gave everything for this child. She gave up her own life to say, hey, I know this indiscretion happened and it's been an unbelievably painful, but it's not this child's fault. Mm-hmm. I want to love this child. And God brought me to this family to say, Hey, 
how can we help? How can we provide hope and meals and faith mm-hmm. to you? Um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just an amazing opportunity yeah. that God has placed right in front of you to become and to grow in relationship with Him. It's so hope filled. Amen. It's so hope filled. Right. All right, Ben Holson, thank you uh, for stepping in and, and uh, giving us a little background of your experience. I'd like to talk to you more about it. Uh, a little bit later, maybe next week, okay. because this is going to be an exciting uh, program we've got coming up with One Child. You can learn more about it, that at myfaithradio.com. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay, here's something exciting. When you sponsor a child with the ministry One Child, you are linked with a boy or a girl who will know you by name and treasure the thought that you care. Most of them will pray for you daily. And if you write them, they'll write you too. The child you sponsor will receive not only educational assistance, but supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement, and most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month. That's just a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world, but what if you can change the world for one person? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. just joined us. Welcome. We're talking about child sponsorship. I'm here with Ben Holson, the program director here at Faith Radio, and he had an amazing experience um, learning all about it. And now uh, Ben's still here with me, but we're going to bring on Alibi Santana, who was a sponsored child himself, who is now in his early 20s with his own family. Alibi, welcome. Hello, hello. Am I saying your name? Am I saying your name correctly? That's correct, Alebi, yes. Alebi, you are my first friend named Alebi, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what? tell me, what, what what age were you sponsored? I was three years old back then. Okay. And what was your, your, your like life? What was your, your life like before you were sponsored? For well, you, and, for you li- and your parents. Yes, I lived in a family of five kids. We were five boys and... My parents, um, I come from a poor family, if we can call it like that. And I was able to get a sponsor and it was an opportunity for my my parents actually, yeah, because they, they were not able to afford certain things like um, getting like school supplies for me and those things, uh, something that I, I was able to uh, have access when I was sponsored and uh, Yes, um, I would say, you know, not knowing like from Christ like that closely. And well, there's a lot I can say about being a sponsor. And we can go with more details. Yes. Yeah, I'd, I love, I'd love to hear more details. This, this is fascinating for me and for Ben and <clears throat> Rosie and every person listening. Oh, yes. Great. Um, 
I um, being sponsored changed my life and also my my family life, my parents, because by by the sponsorship, I got to know Christ. My my mother also is Christian. I am a youth pastor in the church right now. And all the needs I, you know, the things I needed as a child, like supplies for schools and in those things, I was able to get them when I got sponsored. Uh, before uh, my family, my parents were not able to do those, those kind of things, and and we it was it was a great opportunities. It was a great opportunities because me and also my brothers that were sponsored, there there were three of us because uh, the program could not sponsor five. Just like you know, we need to have you you got, like need to have more donors to be. Uh, willing to sponsor and the which is just three out of a family um and to sponsor and it was it was it was great I said like if I had the opportunity to sponsor something that I'm thinking right now I would pass on what I received because I know how it was transformed my life was transformed mm-hmm. by being sponsored well, my, yes. my my life is being transformed hearing your story, Alibi Santana. Uh, I'm curious about what do you think you were kind of rescued from when you were looking at the other kids in the neighborhood, maybe the ones you noticed that weren't being sponsored. What did you see the difference was between maybe you and some of them? Oh, that's a great question. Yes, a big difference. Even listen, with my brothers, the ones that were not able to be like, they were not sponsored because they were not like enough donors, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a huge difference. I used to share the things I received in the program with them. And, 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 you know, for example, going to school, uh, he was hard in the Dominican Republic and in my house, actually, because we were poor. We, we, we could not like buy the things we needed. And like, if I received something from the program, I will also share it with my brothers. There was a big difference uh, on the material thing. And also um, talking about um, the Christianity, for example, in my community, there is a huge difference between those that were in the program and those that were not in the program. But till now, they are not in churches, for example. They are not being leader in the communities because being a sponsor helped me to be a leader also in the community and help others. Mm-hmm. When you were a young boy, did you feel hope? I mean, because with a, a name like Alibi Santana, you should be a starting pitcher for the Yankees. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, hope, uh, like, you know, the communities, just trying to... Um, it wasn't like without the program, I wouldn't talk about hope. All right. I don't know if you, if you see my point because the program makes us a uh, dream. Uh, and, and we, I remember what we used to write like my project for my life, like with, within 10 years and then in five years, we had this, this um, program that we have to do like every once in a while. Like to prepare our plan for our lives, right? And we start seeing a hope by doing that. Like, what do one, what, what do you want to do, or who do you want to be when you grow up? Those things that I didn't think before, but being in the program, I, I started to have like this hope of the future of what about what was, um, what the future holds for me and all that. That's beautiful. Now you you are now a parent yourself. So how has your yes. parenting been impacted by your sponsorship? 
Wow. I, I mean, like I see my kids and I think of me back then, right? Oh, of course. Um, with the knowledge I received and, and the Bible knowledge and 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 know that I, I put it into practice right now with my kids. I understand the value of of taking care of kids, of, of knowing because listen, it's so beautiful the fact that when you know as a kid somebody's taking care of you, even if it's far from you. And I'll go back and I go back to my experience. I remember sharing letters with my sponsor. And and reading the letters saying, like, I'm praying for you. Like, no matter how hard the situation was back then, and I see a letter of a sponsor telling me, listen, I'm praying for you. God, God has great things for you. That is amazing. It's amazing. And now I'm putting that into practice with my kids, too. Mm. Hey, Libby, it's Ben. It's so great to talk to you and hear your voice again. You changed my life. I'll never forget when I met you in the backyard of that Hope Center. Um, you were wearing that that yellow shirt, and the kids were playing soccer around, and, and we had that conversation. And it's I'm, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you again. Um, as we're talking about your sponsor, I know you've aged out of the program now. Um, tell me the, the impact that your sponsor had on your life and continues to have on your life and the relationship that she's had. I know she's from Colorado and I, I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity yes. to meet her yet. Cause I know you had plans to meet her. Um, but to, just yes. describe, just describe that relationship. And as people are listening right now, I just want to remind you that, that there are children um, just like Alibi right now um, that you can visit and you can look into their eyes and learn their stories right now and pray about if God feels, if you feel God leading you to sponsor these kids at myfaithradio.com. But let's talk about, awesome. let's talk about your sponsor, um, and she sounds like an amazing person and the impact that she's still having on your life. Yes, yes. Oh, our relationship is something great. It's just like a mom and a, and a, and a little baby. Still, we still have the relationship since um, the time I was sponsored by 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 her. And um, honestly, like now, we still uh, keep in touch. And, and any day, for example, my birthday or my, my kid's birthday, she texts me and and we keep that close contact. And I think that relationship helped me a lot with my Christianity too, because that support before with the letter that she would send me and then now being directly connected with her, because I remember when I was about to finish the program, she requested the center that she wanted to have like this direct contact with me. And, and, and she had family in my in a spiritual life. Um, and we keep, you know, this connection as, and again, I consider her like my mom, <laughs> she's my second mom. And, and, and I have, I'm really grateful for her. I mean, talking about this, I get so excited <laughs> that I cannot put my, my thought into words, <laughs> honestly. I love that. Alibi, I would love for you to share with my listeners how you came to that place in your life where you thought, Jesus is real. I want to be in relationship with him and I want to give my life to him. Oh, uh, it was because of the Bible studies and, nice. and that we had in, at the center. I I came to Jesus actually one day that my teacher was teaching about it was a story. I'm, I don't remember exactly the story right now. And I gave my life to Jesus there. I remember in front of the my other friends, the 
I think I was 11 years old mm-hmm. and, and it impacted my life that class that day. And I wanted to uh, surrender to Jesus um, that time. Um, so that's that's one of the great things that I that I thank to the program, not only the material things I received, but the knowledge about the reality of the existence of Jesus Christ and God in my life. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. And I, I love and we love hearing how a difference was made in your life. And you are telling us that it is uh, significant and real and you have a lot of people to, to thank and uh, God did amazing work in your life. And now you are a parent and you understand fully as you look at your young kids, yeah. what it was like for you way back then. Absolutely. Sorry. You said what it was like when, well, when you look at your own children now, you can see yourself at their age and think, um, yes. wow, I was loved and cared for at a time by someone who decided to step up and sponsor me. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, it, talking about that, I asked my mom, listen, do you remember the first time I went to the program to take this picture so my sponsor could see me and sponsor me? And I was asking her about the clothes I was wearing <laughs> <laughs> that that day. And she said, listen, that was the clothes that I would put you, like anytime we'll go like to a special activity, that was the only one you had. <laughs> And then for that day for the picture, I got that one and put it on you. Like, you know, uh, when I see my kids and I see like, wow, the necessity I have back then and my my desire. So I can understand the kids dream by the time they're that age and and their their motion and all that. And having somebody who helps, who, who cares about that kid is something really valuable. Right. Alibi, let me just ask you one more question. Where do you think you would be if it wasn't for your sponsor, if it wasn't for these Hope Centers, if it wasn't for that rescue at three years old? Wow. Wow. Absolutely. For me, it was like a rescue. I mean, I don't like I can make a picture of myself without the program because I know a guy had a plan with me through the program and in my academical life, like, for example, I'm professional. I have a even a master's degree right now. And it was for the help of the whole program. Um, and, you know, having Jesus in my heart, having my family, by my age, my kids, and be living in a formal marriage here at my age, which is not common right where I live. Um that all that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the program. So I don't consider myself like out of the program. I would be like like somebody else here, those kids that have necessity or were not able to be because maybe there were enough donors, they were not able to have the opportunities and and wow, it's it's I don't want to think of myself without the program, honestly. Uh, you are a delight. Thank you so much for joining the program and talking about your experience. It's meant a lot to all of us. Thank you very much for you guys for having me here. And it was it was an honor. Thank you so much. God bless you, we Frank. Good to talk to you again. We feel the same way. Thank you so much. All right, Ben. That is a, a, a powerful testimony of what a difference uh, sponsorship can make in a child's life. Right. And because he's been given so much along the way, um, he wants to give back his entire life. Um, he has an, an English 
um, business that he teaches kids English and so that they can have a bigger impact on their communities and their families. Um, we can reach more people for Jesus. Mm-hmm. All because somebody called and said, hey, I need to, I want to, I feel led to sponsor a child. And they were led to a Libby. Yeah. And you can do the same thing right now at myfaithradio.com. And there's so many precious children on there that their stories and their faces. And um, it's just, it's just amazing at, at how God is using each one of us. That's fantastic. Right. Thank you, Ben. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. Dr. Greg Heddington is going to jump in. First John chapter three. Be right back. I still like saying Happy New Year to my friends, ones that I haven't spoken to yet in the new year, and one today is Dr. Greg Heddington, and you know that I love as much scripture engagement as we can do here on the Afternoon Show, and today we're going to jump into First uh, John chapter 3. We're going to focus on verses 11 to 24. Dr. Greg Heddington is a longtime friend of mine and, and uh, Bible teacher and missionary and man who does it all. Greg, welcome. Great, Bill. I'm so glad to be here, and welcome to our sixth lesson regarding some of the New Testament epistles as we look at 1 John 3, verses 11 to 24, and be sure to read that chapter at your convenience. When we began the Apostle John's letter, we said that John writes in the philosophical form of the Old Testament authors of wisdom literature like the book of Psalms. John writes, he repeats, he writes some more, repeats, returns, but each time he returns, he wants to give us a slightly different tone and dig a little deeper. He usually returns to the same three topics of love, obedience, and truth. Now, this is a difficult chapter, not because it's difficult to understand, but because it's difficult to achieve. We are called to love one another as believers, and it's just not easy. It takes the Holy Spirit sometimes to give us the power to do it, because in spite of what we see in the movies, love is not a feeling. It's Hmm. a commitment. So, of the two most difficult things we are commanded by Jesus to to do, which is, by the way, the title of this talk, Roman number one, the first most difficult thing that we're asked to do is to commit to loving others. Think about loving other people and, and your own family. We often do not feel like loving them, but we do it out of our commitment, our obedience, and our love for the Lord who loved us way back before we ever even knew him or loved him back. This call to love, to, to have a total commitment of our life and love, is exemplified in the story often told about the great Spanish conquistador, explorer Cortez, who led the expedition to colonize Mexico for Spain, and it caused the fall of the Aztec Empire. So in 1519, Cortez and a small force of 700 men landed in Veracruz, Mexico, to begin his conquest of all of Mexico, which was a much larger area of land than it is today, and it included much of West Texas and southern parts of what would become the U.S., Legend tells us that when they had all landed on Mexican soil, 
Cortez purposely set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. Now, you can imagine his men on the shore watching their only means of retreat sinking to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. Hmm. Now they only had one direction to move, forward, into the Mexican interior to meet whatever might come their way. That's what you would call total commitment. And we also think of the early Christian missionaries who, for many years, would travel for weeks to the country where the Lord called them to minister with only their families, a few belongings, and a wooden casket in which to be buried. You see, they assumed they would never return home. Now, even though we may not think of that kind of commitment to the Lord, this is the kind of single-mindedness to which Jesus and John and the other writers of Scripture calls all believers to commit to out of obedience, because of the truth of God's promises, and our love for the Lord and others. Again, those are the three characteristics of a Christ follower, according to John, obedience, truth, and love. Okay, pop quiz. Who knows John 3.16? I think think a lot of people do. (laughs) Almost every believer knows John 3.16. Now, who knows 1 John 3.16? John 3.16 tells us how much Jesus loves us. Jesus loved the world that he gave his son who had laid down his life. But 1 John 3.16 commands us to respond by laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And by the way, the word for brothers in Greek, adelphos, usually means both genders, both brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16 says, quote, By this, referring to the sacrifice of Jesus, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's the word, Adolphos. Friends, we are to remember that the cross is not just an example of love. The cross is love itself. Jesus did not speak of love. Jesus is, I should say, not only speak of love, but Jesus is love. So he spoke of it, but he demonstrated it by becoming love itself. Now, it is not salvation by photocopy. It is salvation by his death on the cross for us. And John is saying our love for others is also to be sacrificial. Roman numeral two. But what happens when we fail? Well, let's be honest. We do fail to love as we ought to love. Certainly we fail, and in this life we will continue to sin in thought and deed. Michael de Montaigne, who was one of the great significant philosophers of the 16th century French Renaissance, is known as one of the who popularized using casual anecdotes as an entertaining feature of the literary genre, which our southern writers here in America have since perfected. But Montaigne once said this, If all of our inner thoughts were made public, each one of us would deserve to be hanged at least ten times in his or her lifetime. Well, I'm sure he was being charitable in his estimate, since I would put my own hanging offenses easily over a couple hundred in my lifetime. Of course, I'm speaking only of myself, Bill, not of you or anyone else. I appreciate that, Greg. Sin is the great equalizer, and that's one reason the 12-step program is so successful, because 
all of the participants are there only because they know they need help, and they admit it. Vulnerability, which used to be something men would never, uh, well, they'd think it was a dirty word, but vulnerability can be refreshing when people are honest enough to admit their faults and do their best to try to do better. Now, what, speaking of being honest and confessions, one of my favorite confessions of sin comes, ironically, from a comedian who once said, whenever I start a new temporary office job, I think to myself, I'm a pretty good person. When I leave that job, I think to myself, no, I'm pretty sure I'm a murderer. <laughs> well, well we, we, we will continue to fail, if not indeed in thought, for right. sure. But we confess it, and we thank the Lord for his forgiveness. As our man John says in chapter 1, verse 9, that Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins. In Romans 8, 1, I mean, there's a lot of verses we can memorize but I think all believers should memorize Romans 8.1. It gives this astonishing claim that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's always a counter to anything that's good, and Satan tries his best to accuse and discourage us, but his accusations have no power over us when we simply confess repent, and that's that Greek word metanoi, turn the other way, when we repent, get up again and do our best to be obedient. And again, we are washed clean from the sin through the blood of Jesus. What a beautiful thought, Dr. Greg Eddington. I love that thought. Thank you for interjecting that. You bet. So when we fail to love others, even as we try, as John tells us to do, we do not fear that we are not believers. God sees our heart our intent, not just our actions, and he knows the truth regarding who we really are. Okay, another pop quiz. What is the greatest commandment according to both Moses and Jesus? Well, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, both say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And what is the second great commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know originally where they came from, it was Leviticus 19, verse 18. Now, those commands were first given to Moses 3,500 years ago, and we might agree that forgiveness is one of the most visible expressions of showing love. Therefore, now I want to focus on the other most difficult thing we are commanded by Jesus to do, and that is Roman numeral 3, the commitment to forgive. Now, Jesus paved the way to heaven for us through his forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. And we try to follow his command to forgive others, which we agree to every time we say the Lord's Prayer, as when we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we might think to myself, well, I'm pretty good at forgiving, and yet there's certain offenses and resentments that continue to come back to our mind that happened years later and realized, well, maybe I didn't really forgive them completely. I mean, it's a process. Forgiveness, like love, is not a feeling. It's a decision to make because it's a, it's a man we are to follow if we call ourselves Christ followers. And Jesus made it clear that forgiving others is not an option when he's taught his disciples in Matthew 6.15. 
If you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive you. And, Bill, that's a dramatic way, but I think that's a good break. I think it is, too. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're studying First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. You have your Bibles open, and I hope you do. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Let's dig back into the Word with Dr. Greg Heddington. We are studying First uh, John chapter 3, verses 11, 20 to 24. All right, Greg. Yeah, Bill, we've been talking about the two most difficult things we're commanded by Jesus to do. The first is a commitment to love. He is our example. He set a very high bar. But throughout the centuries, many believers who were martyrs for their faith said it was a great privilege to give their life. And we don't hear that too often today. The second hardest thing that Jesus commanded us to do is to forgive, because that is possibly the most dramatic way to demonstrate love. And Jesus is really clear. Right before the break, we were talking about Jesus says in Matthew six fifteen, If you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Now, those words are, are similar when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, we know forgiveness is a process, but it, and, and it must be done, but it's not easy. So let's go and see what we can do about that, because it's, it's definitely tough. Here's maybe a one-liner. Forgiveness is choosing to not let go of the right to hold that offense over someone's head. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of the right to hold that offense over someone's head. It, it cancels a debt that, that they owe. And the best way we can thank the Lord for forgiving us the debt that we owe Him is to forgive the debt that someone else owes us. Now, truly, we wish the offense had never happened to us, but it did. And as Anne Lamott says, and this is even a better quotation, forgiveness is giving up all hope of having a better past. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of having a better past. Now, I think the Greek word for forgiveness is really helpful. The Greek word to forgive is aphemi, aphemi, which literally means to release, to let go, to send away. And we have, when we have unforgiveness towards someone, it's a, it's a burden. It's a weight that we can carry maybe physically through our shoulders or our neck or our stomach. But when we forgive, and, and literally, what does that mean? To release, to let go, to send away. When we forgive, we are releasing it to the only one who's ever been able to take care of that, our Lord. But we might say, well, I want justice. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-eight says this, the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. 
We have a God of justice. So let God do his part. That's powerful. It says, the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. But let him do it. And we, therefore, can release our anger to him, unburden ourselves as God renders justice. Now, if we don't, we become bitter, and our resentment gets even worse when we realize the person we resent doesn't even know how miserable we are. And that makes it even more infuriating for us. Ironically, we are the only ones who suffer when we're bitter. And as someone has said about bitterness, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other hmm. person dies. Well, even though it usually doesn't feel good, Scripture tells us we are to forgive as many times as we are wronged. We must forgive not only to be obedient to the Lord, Matthew six fifteen, but also to keep bitterness from choking our spiritual life. The good news is we cannot sin so badly or so many times that God will not forgive us when we repent. No sin can separate us from the love of God. And that goes back to Romans 8. Now, Bill, uh, I'm going to tell you a story. This is Roman numeral 4. It's called the story of Ilona. Uh, my wife, Carrie, and I recently became friends with a woman named Ilona, and her last name is P-R-R-O-J, who was visiting the U.S. from her home in Albania. We met her through a friend who's supporting her ministry in Albania, and Ilona told us a remarkable story. In fact, it's so remarkable, the first time I heard it, I said, that can't be real, but here's the history. Up until 1991, Albania had been a communist country for 50 years, and it had prided itself as being the most atheistic country in the world. It's also the poorest country in the European Union, and it's mostly Muslim. I assume that because it has been such a godless country for so long that for the past 500 years, there has been a horrific tradition there called blood feud. Now, parts of Albania and Sicily are the only two that have this blood feud. It's still happening. And here it is. If a man in a family is killed by another man, it is the obligation of all men in the victim's family to kill a man from that other family as revenge. And you're saying, oh, okay, wait a minute. Okay, you want to kill somebody, but they're going to go to prison for that. Yes, that's true. The court does judge these people, and they're usually sent to uh, maybe a life sentence, maybe executed, but usually a life sentence. But So why would the family risk that with a man in their family? Because it brings more dishonor on a family to not seek revenge than to seek revenge and kill that other man, full well knowing he will be himself put into prison. That's the blood feud, and this has been going on for 500 years, mostly in the mountains of Albania. Well, here's the story. Ilona is the wife of a man named Sergio, and Sergio has a brother, and I don't know the specific, for some reason, he killed a man. Now, what happens when your family kills another man? That means that every man in the family, in your family, your brothers, sons, uncles, and cousin, all the men in the family cannot leave their homes, sometimes for years, because according to the ancient code, a man is safe and cannot be murdered in his own home. So I guess they do have certain ethics in that, but it is, it's bizarre. So that was the situation when Elona's 
husband's brother killed a man in another family. So Sergio had to stay in his home, as well as the other men, without leaving. That meant Mona, other women could go to the grocery store or whatever and bring things back. But Sergio and, his, and the rest of his men stayed in his home. And this went on and on and on, because if they stepped outside, they would be murdered. Well, after four years, Surio, who is a pastor of a smaller congregation that would meet in his home, decided that this this cannot continue. I, I, I'm going to have to do something about this. In the meantime, Elona found out that Surio was the one who would be targeted for revenge. So one day, Surio talked with his brother by phone and said, I may someday be murdered, but this is the end of the blood feud. If I die, we will forgive no more death. One week later, Sergio ventured outside of his home. He was discovered by the other family. He was shot eight times, and he died. Now, because Sergio had convinced his brother that the blood feud must end with his own murder, the blood feud for those two families ended. Now, for the past number of years, Alone has started a ministry to care for those families who must remain inside their homes. She's become an international speaker and has received the Mother Teresa Humanitarian Award. In fact, she's become close friends with the president and prime minister of Albania, who are not yet believers. Now, this occurs mostly, this blood feud, mostly in the mountainous areas of Albania. It's not everywhere. But I want to conclude this lesson with some things that alone has said she has learned. Number one, she says, our Heavenly Father is a good Father, and He knows what is best. Number two, we must obey what the Lord asks us to do. He does not say there will be justice in this world. He says, are you going to let me be your God? I will take care of injustice in this world. Number three. Alona says, forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a process. Revenge is a one-time event, and that is why forgiveness is so difficult. Forgiveness is not a natural reaction, but rather a divine gift. It is not a feeling, but a decision to be obedient, even though it usually does not feel good. If Jesus had not forgiven our sins we would be hopelessly stuck and dead in our sins. And because he has forgiven our sins, we are commanded to forgive others. Bill, that's the story, and there's not any more I can say about it. It's a remarkable story, and I have a hard time even framing it in my head that this is what happens in some remote parts of the world. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that the the horror that goes on, if uh, Serial was literally in his home for four years and then stepped out and ended up uh, days later uh, dying as a result. Um, incredible. That, that, that's an incredible existence that that was what he did for so many years and uh, stepping out in faith and before he did so said that this uh, this curse is going to stop, this blood feud is going to end. And then and, the courage... And it did. In, that, in that village it did end because yeah. of that. But the the courage and bravery then of the men after him to not take action. Uh, I was just wondering what kind of uh, lives they must have been living and the example they must have been setting. Everyone must have had eyes on them all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
what a witness it is. And she goes all over speaking about this. An amazing, amazing person. Uh, NoBloodFeud.com happens to be what you can, if you want to contact, uh, get more information. Mm-hmm. And Greg, how did you get in contact with her? How did you come to be uh, she, well, friends well, with she, her? She ended up at the National Prayer Break from Washington, D.C. My friend Lee heard her story, and he got his wife together with him, and they went over to Albania and met with her, found out this was all real, came back, and uh, my wife Carrie met her, and we've kind of become friends. Mm-hmm. Some of these stories are so remarkable. They're few and far between. When you hear of someone who is murdered and then the person's attitude towards the murderer is one of forgiveness, and those those stories are are truly remarkable. Well, they're they're almost beyond belief. But I mean, this is the this is and Jesus is calling to this kind of forgiveness because look what He did for us. Yeah, that Jesus in, it says in sixteen. Um, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Um, pretty powerful verse and pretty powerful passage. Amen. Uh, people don't take it so much, it seems like these days, literally, but they certainly have in the past, and that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and I probably am guessing the a story you told about Cortez and his explorers is where we get the expression, when you uh, we're going to burn the boat when we land. In other words, we don't have plan B. We that's only it. have plan A. That's it. Exactly. And I, only. And I've used that expression before in my own life. I didn't know where it came from, but so I'm learning all kinds of things from you, Greg. Burn the boat. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it's a deep commitment. And when you think of the commitment that they had and the commitment that um, the disciples had, uh, we have to look at our own lives and say, are we there as well? Are we willing to make that kind of sacrifice and that commitment? Well, we've got to make that commitment every day and at least think about it every single day. Yeah, amen to that. Love the teaching, uh, Greg. Thank you so much uh, for it, and I'll look forward to uh, having you back on the show again in a couple weeks. Great. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Have a good day. All right. If you have not uh, considered uh, sponsoring a child, I'm very excited about the One Child uh, program, as you can tell from my last interview. And if you uh, head over to MyFaithRadio.com, you can learn more about it. We've got a major event coming up on the 19th and 20th of this month, and it's going to be great. So check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Again, my guest has been Dr. Greg Heddington. We'll take a short break and be right back with our two. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.